So I have this great uncle who anytime when we looked at family photos when I was little, I would always ask, what's with him? But the reason that I would always ask what's with him is because it looked as though somebody had cut out his picture from another picture and just kind of placed it on top of that picture. You got to remember, this is like in the mid 70s. And so Photoshop and things that we're using were not quite the same. And clearly this picture had been taken significantly earlier because it was my great uncle. Well, my dad finally let me know that the reason that my uncle looked like that in all of the family photos was because he was in prison every time they would take a family photo. And so they would take a photo of him in prison and then they would cut it out and send it and somehow in the archaic means place him into the family photo. The reality is, is this great uncle never looked happy. But I'd have to say that if I were in prison, I don't know how happy I would be. All that said, Paul is writing to the Philippians and the Colossians while he's in prison in Rome. Both of these letters take place from his Roman prison cell. And what's interesting about them is how he starts it out. Now, I want you to watch for what he's doing, how he feels, and then I'm going to add one more question at the end. Okay, so you're listening for what he's doing and how he feels. And then we're going to talk about this. So we're in Philippians chapter one, first six verses. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what is it that Paul is doing? Well, if you caught it there in verse number four, he's doing what? Well, I'm always in every prayer of mine, right? He's praying. And in the process of him praying, he has a definite type of attitude. Let's look at verses three, four, and six again. So three, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So clearly, even though he's in prison, Paul feels gratitude, right? Because he's straight up saying, I think. So there's that gratitude piece. Then he jumps in and he says, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. So unlike my great uncle who looked really depressed and like life was horrible, here's Paul saying, I am joyful in prison. He's thankful, he's joyful. And then check out verse number six, being confident of this. He possesses gratitude, he is joyful, and he's confident. Now, the reason that I pulled out those three things is because I want you to contemplate this question and we're gonna come back to it. The question is, who in your life is like that? Who in your life is someone who exhibits gratitude, exhibits joyfulness in spite of the circumstances or the situation, can find like that silver lining, you know, those like disgustingly cheerful people that sometimes you just want to punch in the neck. You know the ones I'm talking about. But they're like that. And then they're also confident in the direction that they're going. Who is it in your life that you feel that way about? Someone that you are grateful for every single day. Because Paul's saying, well, I, I always remember you every day upon every remembrance of you. This is how I feel. And then more importantly, 
does that person or do those people know that you actually feel that way about them? Are they aware that you are grateful for them, that you are grateful for the joy that they have, that you're grateful for the confidence that they exude? You're grateful for the presence of them inside of your life. Now we're going to come back to that thought here in just a minute. But going back to Paul being inside of prison, it kind of makes the young women and young men's theme make a little more sense, doesn't it? I I don't know about you, but I think we live in some pretty trying times. I would say that they're trying mentally and emotionally. Like we do not have the same type of obstacles that our pioneer forefathers did. We tease in the Shoup family about the Shoup brothers who were blacksmiths who came across the plains with Brigham. Brigham told them to leave all of their blacksmithing supplies there in Nauvoo. They decided there would always be a need for blacksmiths, so they packed their blacksmithing supplies, even though the prophet had told them not to. And as they came across their journey, they were dumping their supplies. They kept really good track of it in their journals, and those supplies now reside in the blacksmith shop in Nauvoo, where they should have stayed in the first place. Okay, so we don't have those same kinds of trials. However, we have a lot going on with negativity. I was talking to one of my colleagues today about the long-term effects of COVID and one of the long-term COVID effects that we're seeing is increased anxiety, particularly among teens and young adults. We're seeing an increase in depression, increase in autism, increase in all types, like suicide was never really talked about a ton when I was a teenager back in the 80s. There was maybe mentioned here and there, but more of a taboo topic that we didn't talk about. Or my youngest belongs to the GSA club, the Gay Straight Alliance, something that never even existed and quite candidly did not even enter my mind. So here we live in these trying times and you gotta love Paul who's in his trying time inside of prison and he says what? Well, you know your theme. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I mean, it's so straightforward. A team of two with one of them being Christ always wins. It only takes a team of two. I can do all things with Christ, which strengtheneth me. But part of the reason that Paul has reached that spot is because of what's happening in a few verses before. I actually kind of like verse 11, just a scotch more than verse number 13. Because in Philippians chapter four, verse 11, we find this. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Do you catch what Paul is saying you and I need to get to a point of being? I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, to be okay. So you may not have the newest Jordans. It's okay. You may not be wearing the most up-to-date clothes. Guess what? It's okay. You may not drive a newer car or you may not have the opportunity to travel like some of your friends or you may not. All of that is okay. Because like we talked about a few weeks ago, a lot of those things are, I'm holding up my one finger, they are first world problems. And if you and I could learn to be more content with what we have, I know that we'd have more strength because we would be focused more on Christ. 
If you think about it, Christ is not about getting anything. He spent the vast majority of his life giving. So will you go and do something? Will you go and work at being more content with what you have? And particularly, will you be content and let those who you truly value know that you value them and that you're grateful that they're in your life? You see, a few minutes ago, I asked a simple question. Who are you thankful for? And do they really know it? So I'm going to build on that question. Let's say that maybe your answer to that is, well, no, they don't really know it. And I don't know how I would tell them. And well, how about this? What if tomorrow they were gone? What if tomorrow you woke up and for whatever myriad of reasons, this individual was gone? As one who has experienced that kind of loss, I'm here to tell you it can be a little bit devastating. I'm grateful that even now, nearly 24 years later, in fact, at the recording of this, it's just shy of exactly 24 years. So 24 years later, I'm really grateful that my mom still shows up. In fact, the other night, she came to me in a dream and The way that I remember the dream is I was actually trying to record the podcast, trying to teach a class and trying to do my full-time job all at the same time. I don't know what my brain was trying to function with there, but I was clearly trying to sort through some things. And there was a knock at the door and I answered the door and standing on the other side of the door was my mother. And I simply said to her, I knew you would come. And she just gave me a big hug. Now I haven't had a really good mom hug from her in just about 24 years. But some of those things I remember as clearly as though they were just yesterday. In fact, I'll never forget the day that my sister and my sister-in-laws and I, we gathered at my parents' home when my father finally said it was okay for us to start cleaning out some of her things. One of the things I've learned about when it comes to personal possessions of someone who you love when they pass, it is really up to the individual who's kind of in charge of things of, of when those things begin to move. But for my dad... I think her lipstick and a few other things stood at attention in the bathroom the way that she'd left it for six months or more. And so it had been a good six months plus when my dad finally said, I'm ready for you to go through her closets and I'm ready for you to go through her jewelry. Now, you need to understand that my mother loved jewelry and my father loved to buy jewelry for my mother. And by buying jewelry, I'm not talking about like any kind of big blingy ring or something. My mother had a very unique love for Black Hills gold. It's a beautiful gold that generally is in the form of grapes and leaves and a few other things. My mother absolutely loved Black Hills gold. My father absolutely loved buying her jewelry. And when he would buy her jewelry, he would always buy it in sets. And by sets, I mean there was usually a necklace, a bracelet, and some earrings that would go together. And so my mother, over the span of their nearly 50 years together, had accumulated not just a jewelry box of costume jewelry and all of her day-to-day that she would wear, but also a couple of drawers in her dresser of this amazing jewelry that my father had purchased for her. In the process of going through that, my mother had a little bit of forethought and she wanted to make sure that her granddaughters got pieces of her jewelry and tried really hard to accommodate that. And she actually started with the oldest, worked her way down to the youngest and allowed people to pick pieces of her jewelry. And so when you'd open the jewelry the actual box, it would say like Regina or Heather or Diane or Cammie. But in the process of all of this happening, 
You can imagine what it was like for my sister-in-laws, my sister and myself to be pulling out these pieces of jewelry and reading who they were to and kind of stacking things together and breaking apart sets and just contemplating and laughing about my mom. Well, as we got deep into this, we pulled out a box. It was a beautiful ring box. And I was like, I don't ever remember mom pulling out this box and wearing this ring. In fact, the box was tucked at the very back of the drawer. So here amongst all of this jewelry is this beautiful ring box. And you open up the ring box. And to my surprise, there was not a ring inside of that ring box. There was a piece of paper. So we took that piece of paper and we unfolded it because I was like, what is so precious and what is so powerful that my mom would keep this ring box with a folded piece of paper in with all of her jewelry? Now I'm going to stop there in the story for a minute. Remember that Paul started the letter to the Philippians. How? With gratitude, with joy, and with confidence. Take a look at what he says here in Colossians in verses 3 and then verses 9 and 10. In verse 3, he says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. How often does Paul pray for the saints? Always. How often is President Nelson and the brethren praying for you and I? They are always. How often are we praying for those that we love? I hope it is a definitive in your world. I hope it is something that you can easily say, I am always praying about this. Then we jump over to verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So here is Paul again saying, I pray for you. I value you. I think about you all the time. You are important to me, and I want you to walk worthy. You are a treasure. Well, here in this treasure was that piece of paper. And as we open up the piece of paper, we saw written in the penmanship of probably a 16-year-old boy a letter that I can never forget. It simply said, Dear Mom, Merry Christmas. I wanted to buy you a fry daddy, but I didn't have any money. Here's an IOU. Love, Darwin. Amongst her prized possessions and what the world would call valuable was a note written by a teenage boy that declared his love and his admiration for his mother. Here is Paul, both in Philippians and Colossians, saying, Give thanks. I pray for you always. I want you to be filled with knowledge, to walk worthily, to be faithful. As I read those words from Paul, I think to myself, I really want to, in the end, be who my mom thinks that I actually am and can be. I want to be that version of myself that my mom thinks I am and potentially can be. So we've got to go back to the question. Who in your life needs to know of your love for them? And more importantly, will you go and will you tell them? Will you tell them of your love? And will you deepen that relationship that you have with them? Because 
You see, the reality is Paul is really trying to get you and I to be and do something different. What I mean by that is, have you ever tried to find something that was very, very difficult to find? I had the experience a few weeks ago to be in Disneyland, and in the process of being Disneyland, my youngest was looking for something of the larger Marvel family. And we, I kid you not when I say we crisscrossed applesauce to the park, trying to find these items that she was looking for. And the reality is, is after spending 45 minutes plus walking around from store to store trying to find the item, we never found it. Paul tells us that this is what we should be looking for. Well, Marvel stuff is cool and I'm going to own it. I like my Disney ears and Disney hats and stuff. Paul says, hold up, Colossians 3, 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above. Friends, are we spending so much time focused on what's happening in this world that we forget to be content? Whereas if we were content, we would be focused more on the things that are above. Do you get what I'm saying? Are we keeping that bigger, that bigger perspective, that eternal perspective? Because what Paul is trying to tell you is that you and I, bless our hearts, because remember when you say bless your heart, then you say what you need to say, bless our hearts, you and I, we've got to put some things off or we've got to get some things out of our lives. We're still in this chapter, chapter three of Colossians, verse eight. But now you also put off all these. I was going to tell you what, put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Did you, did you catch that? Put off all of these, anger. I don't know about you, but I got some angry people in my life that just give off the anger vibe, right? And they're not very fun to be, be with. They sing, put off that wrath. You know that wrath, you know, like, I don't get mad, I just get even. Man, no. Put off malice, like you're intentionally trying to do something to harm somebody. Blasphemy, speaking evil things about the Savior. This one kind of cuts to the core, though. Filthy communication out of your mouth. That can be taken in so many directions, friends. So many directions. But I'll never forget this sweet junior boy who said, do you know what makes girls ugly immediately? When they swear. I'll never forget that. I said, you really think so? He's like, oh yeah, you can take the most beautiful girl. And when profanity starts coming out of your mouth, you're like, whoa, back it up, girlfriend. But the same can be said for the men in our lives. That when there is vulgar or filthy communication, candidly, I don't necessarily like to be around it. Although I do have my favorite swears. I'll own it. I'm trying to get rid of those. Verses 9 and 10. Lie not one to another. Well, that's pretty straightforward. What does Paul want you and I to be? Oh, honest. Why? Well, because that article of faith, we believe in being honest, true, chaste, benevolent. Why do we believe in that? Well, because he wrote already to the Philippians. Did, did you know that? That 13th article of faith is really something that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Did you know that? In Philippians chapter four, dude, this is like a killer chapter. Chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. 
If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Doesn't that sound like something you know? We believe in being honest, true. I used to think it was chased by an elephant when I was a kid. Sounds like it, right? We believe in being honest, true, chaste, benevolent, chased by an elephant. We believe in being honest, true, chaste, benevolent, virtuous, and in doing good to all men. Indeed, we may say that we follow the admonition of Paul. What's the admonition of Paul? It's Philippians 4, 8. We believe all things, we hope all things, we've endured all things, and we hope to be able to endure all things. If there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report, or praiseworthy, we what? Well, Paul just told you, chapter 3, seek those things. Seek after those things. Well, why? Because of the rest of verse 9. Lay not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Okay, so what's the old man? I love a really cool dude. You may have heard of him. His name's King Benjamin. He's over in the Book of Mormon. He gives this really long, awesome conference talk in the first few chapters of the Book of Mosiah. And right in the center of his conference talk in Mosiah chapter 3, verse number 19, he says, For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless. So what's the old man? Well, the old man is the natural man. It's your natural worldly tendency. It's your celestial peace that we're trying to get over. And this natural man is an enemy to God unless we do what? Well, according to Paul, we got to put off the old and put on the new. In the middle, he says, unless we do what? He yields to the enticing of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord. Becometh a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things, which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child does submit to his father. To do what? Well, because I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Why? Because I have found in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So in case we missed what it was that Paul was talking to us about, in verses 12 and 13, he says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So that's what we're supposed to put on. Get rid of anger, get rid of wrath. Put on what? Kindness, humbleness, mercy, long-suffering. And in case we missed it, verse 14 And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, or in other words, put on Christ. You and I need to put Christ into our lives. Now, why is this so important and why does this really matter? Well, it's because of what Paul said earlier in verses 5 and 6 that I totally hurled. Verse 5 starts with a really interesting phrase. It says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. I'm going to own it. I took a minute to look up the word mortify, and it means to feel embarrassed. So he's saying, be embarrassed. You guys are going to be embarrassed with your members on the earth for fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. I'm going to let you look that one up. Evil concubescence and covetousness, which is adultery. Now, here's the kicker. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Now, I don't know about you, but I know what the wrath of my dad was like. My dad was a big dude. 
If you're wondering, like, how big was my dad? My dad's forearm and bicep were so huge he could not physically touch his own shoulder. His favorite exercise when I was in high school was to do a wrist curl. He would do it with an 80-pound dumbbell. He would do 13 repetitions, both directions, three sets. I can remember very clearly my father doing a minimum of 100 push-ups every morning. And when that man got angry, you knew he was angry. In fact, one of the worst sentences my mother could say to any of us was, wait until your dad gets home. Because we knew when he got home, the wrath of dad. And what is Paul saying here in Colossians? For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So really, what do you need to put off and subsequently put on to avoid God's wrath? That's really what Paul's trying to tell you and I. And in the end, if we can do what's there in verse 14, if we can put on Christ, charity, we got it. So we did it. We've made it through Philippians and Colossians. So will you go and do a few things? First, will you go and be more content? Because when you are content, that is when you can gain more strength from the Savior. Because you're more at peace and he's more able to speak to you when you're at peace. So will you go and be more content with the things that you have and look heavenward? Will you go and ensure that the important people in your life know you love and you need them? And will you start, if you haven't already, to pray for them always? The definitive, every single day, pray for them. Pray for what they need and what you need to have from and with them. And finally, will you go and put off all these things and put on Christ? Now, Paul's given us a whole bunch of things that we can work on. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, lies. And what I love is he immediately gives us something to substitute. So we don't just have to try to, okay, I'm going to quit using this particular word. No, put something else in the space then. You can't leave that void. And so he says, okay, so put on mercy, kindness, humbleness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing, forgiveness. So we put off and put on so that you can avoid God's wrath. I love these really short epistles, but I love them because they are packed with quick, applicable things that you and I can go and do to be more like Christ. May you put on Christ by being content, ensuring that the important people in your life know they are important and loved, praying for them always, and may you put off that natural man. Let's go and do. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Go and Do podcast. We'd love it if you'd take time to leave us a review and also click follow. We would definitely love to hear from you. And you can reach us by either emailing the Go and Do podcast at gmail.com or following us on Instagram at the Go and Do podcast. I'm going to own. It may take me a minute to get back to you on the email, but it's just because I can't get in. Anyway, would love to hear from you. The Go and Do podcast is created by me, Candace Shu and produced by Cami Fisher. We hope that you enjoyed your time with us and that you have a good time. Don't be a good time. Let's go and do. We'll talk soon.